Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And the most tied-in NFL reporter is Seth Wickersham. He is—he has all the stories. And he's great to talk to. And he has a new book out called It's Better to Be Feared. It's about the New England Patriots. The book was released nationally October 12th, and you can get it anywhere. Books are sold. You can go to Amazon right now and get It's Better to Be Feared by Seth Wickersham, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Seth, that's Michelle Smallman. This is Randy Carricker. Good morning. How you doing? I'm great, but I got to be honest. That was such a nice intro that I'm thinking maybe we should just end this thing now. Like it, it can only go downhill for that from that, you know. Uh, Seth, I hate guys. I hate to push back, but I've had your book in my hands since Friday, and I haven't been able to put it down. So I know that the intro is just the beginning because there's so many unbelievable stories and great details in the book. So I can't wait to talk to you about it. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, question number one that I had for you, Seth, and I've been I've been taking notes as I've been reading the book. And it seems like every page I have to stop and write something down because you have such great insight into the minds and the stories of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But one thing that is kind of hard to believe right now, because we know Tom Brady as the undisputed goat, is that he wasn't always a great football player. And he wasn't always a player that people believed would be in this position. But one thing that I I really kind of read throughout the book was that Tom Brady always knew that this was the end game, that he always believed in himself and always believed that this would be his future, even when other people didn't. He did. And, you know, I think you see that playing out even now. I mean, that's one of the, you know, in the book, I try to like get at, you know, what made these men great at this sport where greatness is inherently fleeting. And then also, you know, what were the costs of that greatness? And Brady's kind of interesting because he's always kind of had that rigorous self-belief that, you know, at times even his parents didn't have. And, you know, but I will say this is that, you know, there's, there's one moment in the book where he's in high school and he's throwing passes to receivers and, they're dropping the passes because it's really a windy day. And so he throws it harder and they can't hang on. He's really getting pissed and he's losing his patience and his head coach stops him after practice. And he says, look, you've got to be more patient out there. And Brady didn't want to hear it. And he said, the the coach kind of took a moment. He said, you are one of a kind. You're going to be playing in 10 years and none of these other people are. And it was one of those interesting moments because of course the, the story that Brady tells all the time is how he was, always overlooked and there's a lot of truth to that but also his high school coach spotted just how talented he was even back then and he was really one of the only other people who saw Brady's greatness besides him and so I think that like it's not only a story about how Brady sort of had that rigorous self-belief but also how he was able to kind of almost 
define his own narrative as somebody who was always overlooked, even though there were moments when other people saw it too. Seth, as a head coach, did Bill Belichick always have that self-belief, even though Bill Parcells, as, as the book tells us, told him that he didn't think he'd ever be a successful head coach? Did, did Belichick believe I mean, I think so, but it, it, that's hard to say. I mean, you know, when, when Belichick and Brady came into each other's lives in 2000, they both really knew the inherent fragility of what they were trying to do in their profession. I mean, Brady almost went undrafted. Belichick had his life in, annihilated when the Browns moved to Baltimore. And I think it was interesting because, you know, when you talk about Belichick, he obviously came to New England with a masterful plan about how to do things, but he also wanted to leave nothing to chance, having watched what, you know, being scarred after what happened to him in Cleveland. And I think that, like, when you look at some of the controversies over the years, like Spygate, like the things that St. Louis fans are very aware of, I think in a weird way you can trace those back to those things because not only did you know, when Belichick came back to New England, not only did he have a plan in place that was way ahead of anybody else in the NFL, but he also was willing to cross certain lines because he knew that, you know, it's hard to win football games, to be honest with you. Seth, I I have a friend who is a very good friend and worked for Bill Belichick as an assistant. And one of the lines that he told me a few years ago is when you walk in that facility, the line between right and wrong is blurred. Do you get that sense when in terms of the rules of the game? Do you get that sense? Well, I think that was true then. I mean, yeah, they were, you know, lifting play sheets out of the pills and locker rooms. And obviously Spygate was interesting. And I found, you know, one of the most interesting moments about Spygate of the chapters that I, that I spend on it is when it first broke and that's September of 2007 and Roger Goodell is trying to educate himself on seven years of illegal filming in a matter of, of days. And, and he calls all these head coaches and GMs around the NFL and they just bury Belichick there. It's the height of piousness. And they're saying, you gotta, you gotta, you know, take this guy to the woodshed. He's dirty, blah, blah, blah. And then you have him calling Mike Shanahan, who at the time was probably, you know, the second big, big, you know, second best head coach in the NFL, head coach of the Broncos. And Shanahan says, Roger, I'm mad that I didn't, I'm mad at myself that I didn't think of these cheating methods. And I would have done it in a New York minute because the punishment for it had never been spelled out because nobody had ever been punished for it. So if you don't know what the punishment is, why not try to push the envelope in every possible circumstance? And I found that really interesting because it was a window into the mindset of the best of the, of the best. And it showed that the taping of the signals was important. Seth, as the Patriots dynasty began to unfold, Bill Belichick and a lot of members of his staff became obviously very valuable. And I thought it was notable in the book that you said or you revealed that once head or uh, coordinators or different members of the coaching staff started to get picked off to go elsewhere, there was concern about a brain drain. But people said it's all Bill Belichick. Everything is running through Bill Belichick. And for somebody who was really protective of information and kind of deployed it on a need-be basis and that was paranoid in a lot of ways, how did you get so much information about what was going on in Foxborough? Well, you know, I've just written about them a lot. And, you know, I, I started writing about them in November of 2001. It was pretty shortly after I graduated from Mizzou. And I was sent out to Foxborough to interview, you know, this this young guy who was filling in admirably for Drew Bledsoe named Tom Brady. And he had, you know, a gray sweatsuit on and a backpack that was full of beer because he lost a Michigan-Michigan state bet. And he really 
you know, we were basically the same age and, you know, we felt like we kind of had, you know, we were like the same species, like getting started in our careers. And, you know, I just had a lot of those moments over the years, um, you know, where I was with Brady at his house or at his Super Bowl party or at other parties with him. And I had had late night night conversations with Belichick and I got to know a lot of people around them. And so, you know, I've just kept doing it. And I guess like, that's how I felt like I could write something like this. And, you know, and I also know their enemies around the league and the people that they had had problems with. I mean, like Mike Martz, I mean, when Spygate broke, you know, he felt like the Patriots might've taped their walkthrough. That's obviously, you know, something that's been, um, you know, investigated quite a bit. And he also felt wondered if they had taped his practices during the week. And he said something, I mean, when Spygate broke, he said, I'd like to hang Belichick by the, you know what, because he was so upset feeling like that, you know, what if he had been cheated out of a Super Bowl? Seth Wickersham is the author of It's Better to Be Feared. It's a great book about the New England Patriots. We haven't mentioned the name of Robert Kraft yet, Seth. How does he fit into this Brady-Belichick equation? Well, he was just masterful at keeping the band together as long as it did. And it doesn't mean that it didn't it wasn't easy managing those guys. I mean, Belichick and Brady are both very stubborn. They're type A personalities. They have got a lot of opinions. At one point in 2018, you know, after a year of just nonstop tension between Brady and Belichick in the building and a lot of worries about whether Brady was going to ask for his release from the team. And as a matter of fact, he kind of did. And Robert Kraft initially denied him getting released. That was in the spring of 2018 because he felt like they just traded Jimmy Garoppolo and invested again in Tom Brady. And he wasn't willing to let him out of his contract. Then the next day he comes back and he says, yeah, I will let you out. But Brady at that point didn't want out. And so he ended up staying in new England, but fast forward to that fall, um, Kraft is in a conference in uh, Aspen, one of these kind of rich guys conferences, and he's in the lobby of a hotel and he goes, you know, I hate leaving a place like this. You have to leave some of those brilliant minds and I have to go to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, this book is about the greatness of the Patriots, the greatness of Tom Brady, the greatness of Bill Belichick, and one of my biggest takeaways is yes, you need the physical skills if you're Tom Brady, and yes, you need the football acumen and the access to resources if you're Bill Belichick, but this does not happen by accident. Greatness does not happen by accident. Both of these two guys are obsessive in their pursuit of greatness and in the fine-tuning of their craft. You talk about Bill Belichick having 19-hour days and Tom Brady getting busted on a late Friday night because he's at the facilities during the offseason. These are two people that were willing to win at whatever cost. Oh, no doubt. And I think that, you know, there's some funny moments in the book, like, you know, Belichick's assistant coach is rigging his computer with porn. So it was like screaming down the hallway and he couldn't figure out a way to to turn it off and ended up having to like unplug his computer because he was so angry about this. And then, you know, Tom Brady once bringing Giselle Bunchen's dog in a Louis Vuitton bag to the facility and asking for a place to hide the dog because he was so embarrassed that he had to watch the dog that day. But like, You know, one of the interesting things about Brady and Belichick is that, you know, we spend so much time talking about their differences, but they have some philosophical things that they're kind of weirdly aligned with. And one of those is like, these guys believe in what's next and like the, you know, the power and the potential of the next play, like nobody in NFL history, they are really optimists, which is kind of weird because, you know, Brady is kind of, they come in at a different angle. Brady is more kind of, 
evangelical and, and almost kind of so earnest about it. And Belichick comes to it from kind of a pessimistic place where he has to figure out all the ways his team can lose before he can figure out a way for it to win. But you see that optimism play out on the on international stages. I mean, Brady twice rallying the Patriots back from fourth quarter deficits, double digit fourth quarter deficits in the Super Bowl. You know, all of the historic goal line stands that Belichick's defenses have made, you know, going back to when he was with the Giants and they played in the Super Bowl against the Broncos. You know, these guys have an ability to flush what has happened and focus on what's next like nobody else in the NFL. And I think that that's one of the most kind of interesting things to look at when you look at you know, you kind of break down the DNA of what made them great. Hey, Seth, one more thing about the book from me, and this is just an observation. I don't know if it's accurate, and maybe you can tell me if it is, but my my perception of Brady was that he probably watched Peyton Manning and and knew that Manning was able to coach the Broncos offense on Fridays and knew how much power he had in terms of putting together the game plan, whether it was under Gary Kubiak or uh, Jim Caldwell or whomever. Do you think Brady, when he left, won Wanted that ability to have a little bit more power than he was given under Bill Belichick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that he wanted to have more insight over, you know, oversight, you know, influence in the organization. And, you know, even though I think Belichick gave him quite a bit, there was always going to be a ceiling on that because it was Bill Belichick's program and he had run it so well over the years. But, I mean, just look at what it's like in Tampa. He's the he's the quarterback. He's the de facto offensive coordinator. He's a pseudo personnel executive. And Alex Guerrero, his business partner with TV 12, who who Belichick once famously banned from the building, (laughs) is now not only has an office in the Tampa Bay Bucks building, but he got a Super Bowl ring. And so clearly things are are different for Tom Brady. Um, You know, I think that he was tired of of just feeling like he was an employee of taking these team-friendly you know, contracts with, with no say into how all of this, you know, salary cap, cap flexibility was dispersed. And Seth, before we let you go, uh, we had the chance to sit together at one of the Rams hearings in regards or the Rams NFL hearings in regards to the mm-hmm. St. Louis lawsuit. Uh, have you heard anything? Are NFL owners talking about this lawsuit now? And if so, what's being said? Well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I've asked around about that, and to a certain extent, I think people look at it like it. This is Stan's problem to deal with. Remember, in our, you know, story that we did in in after the, the Rams moved, I think it was February or March of 2016. Um, we wrote about how he had signed an indemnification agreement, meaning that he picked up the cost for any legal costs for the league and the owners associated with this. And so, I think that like right now, what you see is most of the owners ignoring these you know, orders for discovery and kind of looking like this is Stan's problem that he's going to have to solve. I don't know on the league level, um, you know, what they're talking about, but I know that during some of these, you know, NFL owners meetings they do periodically, you know, the lawsuit just hasn't come up. And I find that kind of interesting because obviously, obviously St. Louis has a formidable team. And one of the most interesting theories I saw, I think it was by Mike Florio, was the suggestion that maybe St. Louis could get an NFL team as part of a settlement. I was curious, like, what do you guys think about that? I mean, like, would St. Louis want another NFL team? Would the public pay for a stadium? I thought that was a really interesting, you know, kind of theory that he put out there, and I was curious, like, 
does St. Louis even want an NFL team after two of them left? Well, definitively, there's no way public money would go toward a stadium <laughs> or a practice facility. The league would have to finance that. And what I've heard in talking to NFL sources is that that's a precedent that NFL owners do not want to set yeah, right. in, in building stadiums <laughs> for a city. But And I can also tell you reasonably definitively that if – the mayor of St. Louis, Tashara Jones, is offered that settlement, and she's one of the plaintiffs, that she would turn it down immediately, that there would not even be a question about it. Mm. So it's now a lot can happen between now and the start of a trial in January. But right now, there doesn't seem to be an appetite among leadership and fans are different. Seth, as you know, the, the mm-hmm. fans would love to have a team here. But among the corporate and political leadership of St. Louis, there is not interest right now. Yeah, and I just remember, you know, I went to Mizzou, and and you know, I covered you know some of those those Rams teams around the time that I graduated, um, you know, and the it's amazing how loud the dome was and how it was such a formidable and difficult place to play, and I feel like that, you know, the town kind of got trashed as as being you know fans not as being into the NFL as other cities only after the team was so bad for so long. You know, I I felt like that when you know when the Rams were good, that place was as hard of, to play as any place in the NFL. Yeah, it, it was fun to be there too, Seth. You, the work that you do is phenomenal. Nobody else gets the insight and the, uh, the the anecdotes that you do. And the book is fantastic. the The name of the book it's better to be feared about the Patriots dynasty. And uh, Michelle's reading it now. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Hey, thank you guys. It's always great to join you. All right, th- Seth. Thanks, Seth. And we'll see you in January, maybe. Sounds good. <laughs> Take care. That is Seth Wickersham, ESPN.com, with us on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the College Football Playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.